This is Friday. It I am doing it. Of course, you know I do it early, 99.9% .9 of the time. It's Friday. This is the fourth of December in the year 2020. I know we know it's here. It's a fact, but it's hard to believe that this time is going by. To me, it seems like it's going by very, very fast. But I'm thankful to God because He has blessed me to live to see this day. And for that, I am thankful. I am grateful. I am grateful. He is so good. He's super califragilistic, expialidocious. And I'm using more than one device. And if those who have been watching and listening, the past few weeks know that I've been having some problems. I did some resetting on my laptop and for some reason, reason, excuse me, it is locking itself. And so when I get into a webcast or a broadcast or doing something, then it just locks itself. Okay. <laughs> Don't know why, but I will figure it out. I thought I had it figured out, but I don't have it figured out, and I hope this this thing right here is not going to be on here while I'm uh, I'm uh, when I share this webcast, this little square that's focusing on my face. But our Sunday school lesson is entitled "Where Loving Can Where Loving Money Can Lead." Where loving money can lead. And we know there's a scripture that tells us for the love of money is the root of all evil. It didn't say having money. It said the love of money. That's when you put money before anything else. And that's the most important thing to you in your life. That money. Getting that money. Spending it and doing all that on what you want. And if you love it so much that it takes uh priority over everything else in your life everything else then that's what it's talking about okay so where loving money can lead and we're in john the 13th chapter the 21st through 30th verses and of course i use the lg parkhurst jr sunday school commentary and it's my favorite at this time <laughs> it is my favorite at this time i'm not going to give you the focal scripture which is after judas received the peace of bread Satan entered into him Jesus said to him do quickly what you are going to do and that's a new revised standard version okay so where loving money can lead now we'll go to our scripture when Jesus had thus said he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Can you imagine, can you imagine the hurt that he felt? Okay, I'm not going to comment right now, okay, any further on that, okay? Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas's carrier, the son of Simon. My, my, my. And I, I said, I've said it before. I wonder if Judas even had a chance. I wonder if this was his destiny from the creation, from the beginning of time. I wonder if he had even had a chance. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that means he carried the money, he was like the treasurer, okay? That Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So we'll get into our commentary. Ooh, what loving money will lead to. But loving money. And we know we need money to survive, you know. That's a fact. We need money to survive. So none of us are going to even deny that fact. We got to have the money to survive in this world. And I thank God for the portion that He's allowed me, that He's allowed to you to, or allotted, okay? Whichever word you prefer. Now, sometimes our greatest temptations come amid suffering, when we anticipate suffering or death, or when we suffer the loss of someone we love by death or in some other way. Because we can suffer losses in many other ways, okay? Now sometimes our temptations are more severe when we suffer betrayal by a friend or someone we trusted with our deepest secret or with a treasured possession. Yes, yes, yes. In John 11, chapter, in the 33rd verse, we learned that when Jesus saw her, Mary, meaning his mother, weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed. That means he was troubled, okay, in spirit and deeply moved. So in the Greek New Testament, the same Greek word is translated into English as both troubled and disturbed. Before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he was troubled by death and the suffering that someone's death caused those he loved, but he did not sin. There was no sin in Jesus, okay? Now, when thinking of or being troubled about his own approaching death, Jesus did not sin. Now, in John, the 12th chapter, the 27th verse, we studied these words of Jesus as he thought about his coming hour of suffering, crucifixion, and death. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. That Jesus did not sin, rather, Jesus chose to do the will of his heavenly Father. 
Jesus knew that there was no other way for God to save the world and every believer in Jesus from sin. So as we will see, Jesus loved Judas. And when thinking about Judas's betrayal, Jesus was troubled. But he did not sin. That's a fact. He did not sin. He was troubled. He was troubled. It hurt him. He was deeply hurt. And I'm sure you understand exactly what I'm talking about, what this lesson is portraying here. You've been hurt by someone that you trusted, that you loved so dearly, and it hurt to the core. Sometimes you can be so hurt till it just seems like it's draining all of the energy, all of the life out of you. I've been there. I've been there. But look at me now. By the grace of God, hallelujah, he brought me back. He brought me back, gave me that strength to endure and the strength to move on with life. By his grace, his mercy he had on me. He loved me so much that he helped me to survive. And not just one time, not just two times, more than that. But he blessed me and he let me bounce back. He brought me back. And he took that hurt away, even though I remember it. It's not there. I can move on with my life, okay? All right, it's not, he hasn't taken a hold on me. It's not making, it's not affecting my life. But it, it did give me experiences so that I can talk about what I went through, okay? So as we will see, Jesus loved Judas. And when thinking about Judas's betrayal, Jesus was troubled, but he did not sin. Okay, so we can be angry. Hey, I'm going somewhere with this. We can be angry. We can be hurt. We can be troubled. But the scripture tells us we can be angry, but don't sin. Okay? Don't sin. Okay? Now, learning how Jesus suffered in the many ways we suffer can encourage us when we read Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 15th and the 16th verses. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Oh, that's wonderful. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No matter what we experience or anticipate, no matter how much we suffer and feel troubled, we can go to Jesus who understands us and he will give us the mercy, the grace, and the help we need. I know it. Believe me. Take it from me. He'll give it to us, okay? He will give it to us. He's given it to me many times over. No matter what we experience, are and feel troubled, no matter what we experience or anticipate, no matter how we suffer and feel troubled, we can go to Jesus who understands us, and he'll give us the mercy, I'm repeating, okay, the grace and the help we need. Feeling troubled in our spirit does not mean we lack faith. Let me do that again. Feeling troubled in our spirit does not mean that we lack faith, 
okay? Jesus felt troubled, but he did not lack faith. When troubled, Jesus trusted his father and his plan for his life. He did not sin. See, that's when, when this trouble comes to us, we don't have to sin. And I admonish you, I admonish you to stay strong. You don't have to sin. If you have to remove yourself from an environment, in a, a situation, uh, you get out of there. Get out. Wherever you are, get out. If you feel like you might sin, to keep yourself safe get out i mean safe spiritually and naturally get out move around okay now when trouble jesus trusted his father and his plan for his life repeating okay he did not sin we can find help in jesus and follow jesus example we do not need to sin when jesus taught the disciples about his coming death in john the 14th chapter and the first verse Jesus encouraged them and all who believe in him, saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So, when we feel troubled, that does not mean we have sinned or are sinning or will sin. May I repeat that? Oh, I think I'll give myself permission. When we feel troubled, that does not mean we have sinned or are sinning or will sin. We can do what Jesus said. We can continue to believe in God and believe also in Jesus. And that's a fact. Oh, yes, that's a fact. Okay? Now, finally, though Jesus had talked about being betrayed before, Jesus still did not name the one who would betray him. He loved Judas as he loved all his disciples. He loved every one of them. He loved every one of his disciples, just like he loves each of us. And we have a personal, individual relationship with Jesus. He loves us so much. But if we're messing up, if we're sinning, we're doing things that we should not do, that he has forbade us to do, or for bad, which you have, whichever word it is, we are sinning. He does not condone that sin. And if we don't repent of our sins and accept Him as our personal Savior, if we are saved and we sin and we don't repent, we can't get away with that. We can't get away with that. The consequences will come. We will suffer the consequences. Okay, and if we have repented and we live a safe life, we will reap the benefits, okay? Either are. But he loves us, but he doesn't love our sinful ways, okay? And he does not condone our sinful ways, not Jesus, okay? He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't come down here to give us more strength and more courage to continue in our sins. He came and gave his life, rose again, so that we can be forgiven of our sins and live a saved and a sanctified life. Okay, so Jesus gave Judas every opportunity 
to repent and turn to Jesus for help to overcome his sin and temptations. But Jesus knew that Judas would choose to remain in the darkness rather than become a child of light. So this too troubled Jesus as all believers in Jesus feel troubled when those they love choose to continue in sin and refuse to trust in Jesus for salvation from sin. And one thing that really, really troubles me is because I know, I know, and I'm aware that someone has said that, said, and I am going to say, someone said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. After all God has done for that person, after all of the examples, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. But one day, one day, the Bible tells us that every knee shall, shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So will it be too late? Or will you be on time? Okay? Now, Judas was so respected as their treasurer and fellow disciple that none of the disciples suspected Judas would betray their master. He was so respected, so trusted, none of them suspected that he would betray the master. Judas was so deceptive that none of them knew Judas was a thief who stole from the common purse of contributions to meet the disciples' needs and to help the poor. Otherwise, they would have suspected Judas almost immediately. John must have learned that Judas had been a thief after Judas betrayed Jesus. So we can see John, the 12th chapter and the 6th verse. No matter what Judas heard, Jesus teach, Judas remained a thief. In John, the 10th chapter and the 10th verse, Jesus described thieves in a way Judas surely understood, and perhaps he said this with a warning look at Judas as he spoke, saying, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus declined morally from Judas, excuse me, declined morally from stealing to plotting the arrest of Jesus that led to his killing to destroying himself after he regretted his betrayal of Jesus and what his betrayal had done to Jesus. Refusing to turn from sinning will almost inevitably lead to committing worse and even more degrading sins beyond our imagination unless we turn to Jesus Christ for help and salvation from sin. So if you do one little thing and it doesn't seem that that affected you in a negative way, then you do another one, another one, and next thing you know, you're off base. Any of us, we have to be careful. We have to watch and pray each and every day. We have to be committed to Christ and we can't be so, so mm, self-righteous that we think that we have it every day, we don't have to repent. And I tell I tell people, and those of you who watch me and listen to me know that I say I repent daily, just in case 
I have done something that I'm not aware of that might be unpleasing to God. So I repent of my sins and I ask God to forgive me each and every day just in case. And oh, I did not do my prayer. But I will do it before I go off the, off the air. Okay. Now, let me get this. Refusing to turn from sinning will almost inevitably lead to committing worse and even more degrading sins beyond our imagination unless we turn to Jesus for help and salvation from sin. Christians know that the solution to sinning is turning to Jesus and that is one reason they proclaim the good news about Jesus and his coming. We have been forgiven. That's why we proclaim the good news. He forgave me. He took me out of my sins. I was on my way to hell. And he forgave me because I repented and asked him to forgive me of my sins. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. The disciples saw Jesus' love and honored each of them in Jesus' own wise way. So based on the way Jesus treated each of them with grace, compassion, and mercy, just as he does us, they did not suspect Judas would ever betray Jesus. They looked at one another with a questioning eye, or with questioning eyes. They could not be certain which of them Jesus might be speaking about in a way that disturbed them all. I mean, they were all, is it me, is it, who is it, God? Tell us who it is. So, in Jesus' day, people reclined on cushions to eat. They reclined on their side, rested on their elbow, and used their other hand to eat. When the disciples are together, one disciple reclined or when they ate together, excuse me, one disciple reclined near Jesus' right side and another reclined near his left side. That's two places of honor. So remember in Mark, the 10th chapter and the 37th verse, James and John said to Jesus, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. The other disciples reclined next to and across from one another where they could see and hear Jesus teach. According to John's description, the one whom Jesus loved, probably John, the writer of this gospel, would have reclined on Jesus' right where they could quietly talk without needing to be face to face while they ate with their right hand or hands, okay? So if both reclined on their left elbow as one was common, to eat with their right hand, as was common, John could have had his back to Jesus and be able to speak quietly with Jesus while they both conveniently ate. Now the King James Version and the uh, NASB describe John's position as leaning on Jesus' bosom or reclining on Jesus' bosom. Now, the NIV and the NRSV describe John's position as reclining next to him, which is the closest description of the way we know people ate at that time. So, whichever it was, he was close to Jesus, all right? Now, 
Peter was not seated next to Jesus, but he could see John, and John could see Peter well enough to understand his hand motions and perhaps read his lips well enough to interpret something like asking who it is. So John quietly asked Jesus in a way that no one else could hear. He was close enough to Jesus for them to talk without being overheard. Now this is a commentary, okay? This is a commentary, all right? Now, without speaking Judas' name aloud, Jesus told John what to look for to identify his betrayer. Interestingly, Jesus often spoke of himself as the bread of life, as essential to life, physical, mental, spiritual, and eternal life, okay? But those who walk in darkness prefer only physical, mental, and material gratifications such as money and what money can buy. So when Jesus spoke about his betrayer earlier in John the 13th chapter and the 18th verse, Jesus told his disciples, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but it is to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So as one of Jesus' closest disciples, Judas often ate bread with Jesus and all of the disciples and the sign that Jesus gave to John literally fulfilled Psalm the 41st chapter and the 9th, the 9th verse and John the 13th chapter and the 18th verse where Jesus gave Judas a piece of bread to eat. Now Judas had to be close enough to receive his bread directed from Jesus' hand. And in that culture, it was a sign of love when Jesus honored Judas by directly handing him a piece of food. So as a sign of love for Judas, Jesus gave Judas a piece of bread, but Judas did not reciprocate with love for Jesus. As a sign to John that Judas would betray him, Jesus gave Judas a piece of bread, which fulfills Psalm 41 9, and Jesus' own prophecy in John the 13th chapter and the 18th verse. If Jesus had told the disciples about Judas, where they all could hear, they would have restrained Judas, perhaps even killing him. But that was not God's plan. That was not God's plan. So the place of honor on Jesus' left side probably went to the treasurer, Judas, where Jesus could easily give him a piece of bread, which usually expressed honor and love for someone. And so now I'm explaining to you, this is a commentary, and these people are led by God, but yet everything that's in here is not factual, but this is a commentary, and it's what they, they feel like could have happened, or would have happened, okay? All right. Now the scripture is right in everything, and I'm not saying anything in here is wrong, but you must understand that some of these comments are not factual but these are the commentators viewpoints and what they think might have happened okay what they uh they're just thinking okay it's like a think tank okay and to get us to thinking okay now but during the three years with jesus 
In his heart, Judas continually rejected Jesus' expressions of love for him. Now, when Jesus talked about how to live in the kingdom of God and spoke about his betrayal at this and previous times without naming Judas, he gave Judas opportunities to turn away from his love of money and stealing to ask Jesus to forgive him and help him do right. Jesus, uh, Judas proved to be an example of what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter and the 10th verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now in Luke, the 16th chapter and the 13th verse, Jesus had warned, No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You hear that? You cannot serve God and wealth. So Judas had come to the point of no return, for despite all Jesus did for him and taught him, Judas began to hate and despise Jesus. Judas loved money and became devoted to wealth. Therefore, he could not love and serve God. Now, uh, I'll have to go back, okay? I'll have to go back. So I'm telling you this is a commentary. When we said that he just continually began to, to hate Jesus. And so you know what I've, I've said. I, I say that when uh, I, don't, I don't know whether Judas was destined from the beginning of time to do this and there and had no way of getting out of what he was supposed to do. I don't know, but I think about that. I think about that. Okay, now, Judas's hour had finally come. His immoral character had become fully formed and Judas no longer desired the things of God. Judas preferred to live as a child of darkness. Whereas Judas chose to become a slave of wealth, he unknowingly became a slave of Satan. But we don't want to do that. Oh, we don't want to do that. So therefore, with the piece of bread, Jesus gave Satan permission to enter Judas, and Satan gave Judas the power to go and do what he wanted to do in his search for more wealth. So having committed himself to betraying Jesus, Jesus told Judas to go and quickly do what he wanted. My, my, my. Whew. Without betraying the fact to the other disciples that Judas was his betrayer, Jesus may have told Judas to do something in a manner the disciples had seen before and probably with the words that Jesus had used before and when he wanted something done. Okay? So, 
They thought nothing of Jesus giving Judas a piece of bread, but John knew why, and he eventually told Peter what Jesus said, did, and meant. So as usual, Jesus knew that his disciples would understand later what he said, what he meant, and why he spoke to Judas as he did in the presence of them all. Now Judas deceived all the disciples, but he did not deceive Jesus. The disciples never connected Judas with the possible betrayer. They immediately assumed that Judas was going out to do good, either quickly buying something for the Passover festival or quickly giving something to the poor, perhaps to someone that Jesus knew needed help immediately. They knew that Jesus often told Judas to perform these types of activities, but somehow in the performance of these duties, Judas probably, now here's this word, okay, probably stole from the common purse. So after Satan entered Judas, he immediately went out. Jesus did not cause Satan to enter Judas. You hear that? Jesus did not cause Satan to enter Judas, but similar to the Lord giving Satan permission to test Job within certain restraints, so Jesus, the Son of God, gave Satan permission to empower and lead Judas to do what he wanted in fulfillment of Scripture. Tragically, Judas had refused to believe Jesus' teachings about the necessity of walking in the light so you will not stumble or fall in the darkness. In John 11, verse 10, Jesus had warned, But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. Judas went out at night, and he stumbled and fell, because the light, the spirit and truth of God, that he had rejected was not in him. Satan was within him. My goodness. And I think about that. And I think about whether he just refused whether we and you know I just said earlier maybe twice within this webcast this uh, video that I wonder I really wonder about it was he destined to this was, was it this is destiny from the beginning of time could he have repented was it for him to repent and I believe by him staying with Jesus and I know he heard the teachings of Jesus. But have you ever in your life, and there was something that you liked to do, something you were tempted to do, and you said, just like eating ice cream, or getting a hamburger, you know you don't need it at that time, especially depending on what it's made out of. Have you ever said, ooh, I know I don't need that. I know I don't need that. I know I don't need that ice cream. Oh, but I want it. I want it. And you end up eating, getting and eating that ice cream or getting that burger. And I'm not talking against burgers. I'm not talking against burgers, okay? I'm using them as examples. So have you ever thought about that? You just couldn't help yourself. You just had to have it. And you did it. Just kind of think about that with Judas. Okay? Now I'm with the, at the questions. Why, no, question number one, why do you think Jesus was troubled in spirit? Question number two, why do you think 
Who do you think was the one whom Jesus loved? Number three, how close was Judas sitting to Jesus? Number four, what happened after Judas received the piece of bread? Number five, what did Judas have and why did the disciples think Judas was leaving? What did he have and why did they think he was leaving? So I'm going to do the conclusion of where loving money can lead. And I'm wrapping it up now. Thank you so much for being with me today and watching this webcast. This is a Sunday school lesson for December the 6th, 2020. The year is passing. We're coming and we're approaching 2021. And it is the grace of God that we live to see 2021. But it could also be His grace if He decides to uh, call us into eternity before 2021. When we have repented of our sins, We've been forgiven. We accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We're living the life that God is pleased with. Either way, either way, we will be blessed. Okay? Now, our focal scripture, of course, is after Jesus received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, do quickly what you are going to do. Now, in Jesus' day, people reclined on cushions to eat. They reclined on their side, rested on their elbow, and used their other hand to eat. Now, when the disciples ate together, one disciple reclined near Jesus' right hand, and another reclined near his left hand. Those, and of course, we, as we say again, they were places of honor. So the others reclined across from one another where they could see Jesus. According to John's descriptions, the one whom Jesus loved, probably John the writer of his gospel, would have reclined on Jesus' right where they could quickly talk. Or quietly talk. The place of honor on Jesus' left probably went to the treasurer, Judas, where Jesus could easily give him a piece of bread, which usually expressed honor and love for someone. But Judas rejected Jesus' expressions of love and honor. When Jesus taught about how to live in the kingdom of God and spoke about his betrayal at this and previous times without Naming Judas, he gave Judas opportunities to turn away from the love of money and stealing to ask Jesus to forgive him and help him to do right. Tragi tragically, Judas refused to believe Jesus' teachings. And I still, he sat under Jesus' teachings. He stayed there until it was time for him to betray Jesus. And I know he heard. He heard. And I'm going back and read this. And you go back too. You go back too. Okay. Now I'm just saying he heard the words of Jesus. He listened to his teachings. He knew the teachings were true. But you know all the disciples. They still had some doubts in their minds. Also in Jesus. You know. They say. How long? How long do I have to deal with this? You know, you see me work miracles. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me heal the sick. So how long will I have to come back and try to prove to you that I am who I am, that these miracles you have seen, these you know they're real, you know they're factual, you know they've happened. How long do I have to deal with you and your unbelief? My goodness. So finally... The hour came for Judas to betray Jesus and the hour for Jesus to die. For Judas gave Judas a piece of bread and Satan the permission 
that word permission. He gave Satan the permission to enter into Judas. My goodness. So, where loving money can lead, it can lead to many, many places. We've seen movies. We've heard of people in the in the real world how they have died doing uh, because somebody wanted what they have their possessions they want their money and everything instead of working for it and all of that doing what you need to do to get your own money your own things be blessed by god for yourself People have decided, I want to get that that belongs to that person. I want it. I want it right now. They have killed. They have destroyed people's lives. They have robbed them. They have taken what people have. Now, getting to this, I have said, I have said that out of the trillions, the billions, I don't know where the illions go to, the gazillions, however many people God has put in this world, has allowed to live, and many are gone on, but people are being replaced each and every day. Out of all of us in this world, God has given us our portion of uh, talents and gifts, abilities to do what we need to do to survive. Now I know and it's coming to my mind that the scriptures that say the pool you will have with you always. But he has given us, those of us, we have gifts and talents. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has talents. And there's enough room in this world. There's enough space for every individual to exercise their own gifts, their own talents, without encroaching another person's space okay you you don't have to go over into somebody else's life and try to grab their gifts their talents their opportunities because you want theirs when you already have been given what you need and if you exercise it you will be able to develop it and be able to do what you do and not bother anybody else's space. I remember, uh, and I've heard other people say it, but I remember when Elder Larry Polk was, was talking to us in the, in the New Horizon District, where I was the district missionary for probably about 13 years until I retired, okay? And uh, he said when he got up to speak, I think it might have been when he just first uh, came, uh, was assigned to St. Emmanuel. I'm not sure, so don't hold me to that, but I know Elder Larry Polk, who is the pastor of St. Emmanuel Church of God in Christ in Denison, Texas. He said, and I'm uh, putting it in a paraphrasing, he said that if everybody would stay in their lane, then the district could be very successful. Everything would go smoothly. But I just don't understand. I mean, it just makes no sense for people. You know, somebody gets credit for something. And then people want to run over here and get into what this person has gotten credit for and try to take that credit 
and make people look at them and give them that same credit. But what I'm saying, that's another message that God has given me. So I'm not going to go on that. So the love of money causes many problems. If money is priority to you, there are things that people do for money that they never thought they ever would have done. Okay? So my prayer. Dear God, as I sit or stand before you to speak, I pray to you that my soul will keep. And if I should die before I'm finished, I ask that any outstanding sins be forgiven. Amen. And that is my prayer that the Lord gave to me for every webcast, broadcast, podcast, whatever I do, where I'm speaking publicly in a building, whatever. That is the prayer that God gave me. I love you so much. I thank you so much for joining Greater Gospel Temple, the church of praise and worship. And this is a Sunday School lesson for December the 6th. 2020 you're precious oh if you have not repented of your sins and accepted jesus christ as your personal savior i'm going to give you the opportunity god is giving you the opportunity through me okay if you have accepted jesus christ at one time and uh ask for forgiveness of your sins, you ask for forgiveness, and yet you've gone back into the world, you start sinning again, this is for you too, it's not too late, as long as you hear my voice and you see my face, whichever it is, it could be both, it's not too late, repeat after me, dear God, I repent of my sins, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, in the name of Jesus, and I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Amen. There are many congregations with sanctified leaders that you can be a part of. A space P-A-R-T, okay? Greater Gospel Temple is available virtually and, oh, I'm so excited, but virtually and naturally soon, okay? Greater Gospel Temple is available. You can call me at 469-629-9543. You can email me at ggtchurch66 at yahoo.com. And if you want to be a part of the Greater Gospel Temple Parish con congregation, I welcome you. I welcome you. I welcome you. Now, I will tell you the great news. Our builder is back. He is going to rebuild the church, the building. And I am so thankful. I am so, so, so thankful. So, if you have a desire, if you would like to, contribute to our building fund it was a building fund uh, I uh, admonish you to call me and I will give you the cash app and 
you can go from there. You can get the money to me quickly. And the sooner, you know, I, he will start building as soon as I give him the word, which will be very, very soon. But if you would like to contribute, please contact me. I love you. Enjoy your day, evening, night, whichever it is. You're a wonder, you're a wonder, a wonder. And God is super califragilisticexpialidocious. Hello, it's a wonderful, wonderful evening. It's Sunday school time. God is good to each and every one of us, and for that, I am so thankful to Him. It's a scripture, Gospel Temple, the Church of Praise and Worship and Inspiration of God Ministries. You can reach me at 469-629-9543 and our GGT Church 66 at yahoo.com. Also on any other social media, I guess, should I say outlets that I'm on, any of those that I'm on. So we're going into our lesson and my prayer is before dear God before I sit and stand before you to speak I pray to you God that my soul you will keep and if I should die before I finish I pray that any outstanding sins be forgiven Amen. That's my prayer that the Lord gave me for the beginning of each of my webcasts or broadcasts because we never know what's going to happen from one millisecond to the next. And one thing I do know is that God is good. He's forever good. He loves us so much and He wants the best for us and all that is good for us but we have to be ready whenever God calls our name for eternity the epitome of true love the epitome of true love we're in John the 13th chapter the 31st through 38th verses and we're in the LG Parkhurst Jr version of the summon the commentary for the Sunday school and this is for December 13th 2020 this year is moving 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 and I will go into our scripture and our focal scripture is John 13 verse 34 and I will read that King James Version, John 13, 34. I will get that, get it offset. Okay. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also 
love one another. I repeat that. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. That's a focal scripture. I'm going to do the verses now. It's the King James Version, Bible Gateway. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be not glorified in excuse me, if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway, straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Wow, my goodness. So we'll go right to the commentary. L.G. Parkhurst, you can find it just by typing in L.G. Parkhurst, or you can go to www.ousu.com. This is International Bible Study Commentary. Get into our commentary part here. From this verse, which is therefore when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And so from this verse, rather than try to lead people in faith to him, Jesus will teach deeper truths to those who already believe in him and want to faithfully follow him. Through the following teachings will still help all who seek to learn more about Jesus but do not yet believe in him. Okay, so what it's saying is that Jesus will teach deeper truths to those who already believe in him and want to faithfully follow him. And then I said through, but it's though the following teachings will still help all who seek to learn more about Jesus, but do not yet believe in him. Now the rest of the Gospel of John should encourage all of us who follow Jesus according to Jesus' teachings, okay? Now, among other truths in the following lessons, 
Jesus will introduce us to the Holy Spirit who will be with us forever and he will tell us how to live with courage in this world until he comes. So before Jesus began his last and perhaps most important teachings, especially for his loyal disciples, then and in the future, he, want, he waited until Judas Iscariot had departed to betray him. Now as early as John verse 6, excuse me, as early as John chapter 7, I am not getting this right. I repeat, and I'm correcting it now. As early as John, the sixth chapter and the 17th verse, Jesus had told his disciples what type of person Judas was without naming him when he said, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. So in John the 13th chapter and the 27th verse, we learned that Judas did not go out until Satan entered him. Now Jesus did not give what is holy to dogs or throw his pearls before swine. And we can see that uh, scripture in Matthew the 7th chapter and the 6th verse. A person described as a devil whom Satan indwelt would have hated Jesus even more if he had heard Jesus pray and teach about love, truth, the way of life, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and where Jesus was going to prepare a place for his true disciple. Now in the Gospel of John, this is the last time Jesus will speak of himself as the Son of Man. Now, to learn more about how Jesus used the title Son of Man, go to the end of this commentary and read all the times Jesus spoke of himself as the Son of Man in the Gospel of John. Now, on Palm Sunday, Jesus said that the hour or time had come for him to be glorified. Jesus again prophesied his coming death, saying in John, the 12th chapter, the 23rd through the 24th verses, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verily, true, very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. On the night Judas departed to betray him, Jesus said he has been glorified. The Son of Man has been glorified because when Jesus took a piece of bread and gave Judas and Satan permission to betray him, Jesus fulfilled scripture, obeyed his father, and began the final sacrifice of his life on the cross. Jesus said the Son of Man has been glorified because he has set in motion his betrayal, arrest, 
crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of his Father in heaven to bear much fruit through his followers before his return at his second coming. Now everything Jesus did and still does through his followers glorifies and honors the Father and him. Jesus glorified his heavenly Father by his perfect obedience to his Father no matter what the personal cost or sacrifice because God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. And that's John the third chapter the 16th verse. Now in the world people glorify or honor themselves and they want other people to glorify or honor them too for their achievements in the world's activities. Because of self-love, many people supremely want to be glorified by others for what they have or what they do. In the kingdom of God, because of his unselfish love for God and others, Jesus glorified or honored himself and the Father glorified or honored him for his perfect obedience and willingness to sacrifice his life for the salvation of those who would believe in him. And that's talking about us. Hallelujah. Love motivated the Father to send the Son, and love motivated the Son to obey the Father, even unto death for the love of those he came to save. In John the 15th chapter and the 13th verse, Jesus describes the depth, depth of his love for us, for his friends, for his loyal and loving disciples. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now in Romans the 5th chapter and the 8th verse, Paul described the breadth of the love the Father and the Son had for us even before we had turned from our sins. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. My goodness. The Father and the Son deserve our love and our efforts to glorify or honor them. They are worthy to be praised. Lest we boast in our achievement, the Father and the Son have saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now Paul wrote in Ephesians the second chapter, the eighth and the ninth verses, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, 
so that no one may boast. It's not anything we did. We couldn't do anything to earn salvation. Jesus came. He took pity on us. He loves us so much that he came and sacrificed his life so that I can be sitting here talking to you at this very moment. I thank him, I thank him, I thank him for having mercy on this soul of mine and accepting my repentance and giving me a right to the tree of life. He forgave me because I asked him to. I repented of my sins. And then I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He gave me a choice. I could accept or reject. And I chose and still choose to accept him as my personal Savior. All right. Now... The Father and the Son always acted and spoke in perfect unity of love, thought, and purpose. Jesus glorified God by everything he said, did, and would soon do when he died on the cross and rose again. God glorified Jesus by the way Jesus suffered died and rose again with the help of his heavenly father and he would do so at once. God the Father and God the Son glorified each other when Jesus sacrificially laid down his life to take it up again when he rose from the dead my 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 god to glorify his father jesus lived and taught in perfect submission to his father's will and his father glorified jesus when he raised him from the dead and showed that jesus had represented him perfectly when he came into the world oh god is so happy with his son hallelujah who is him himself, okay? He, he's he himself, the almighty God. Oh, my goodness. In John, the first chapter, the 12th verse, John described how Jesus gave and still gives people the power to become children of God to all who received him. Talking about Jesus who believed in his name. He gave power to become children of God. In John the 11th chapter and the 52nd verse, Jesus spoke about gathering into one the dispersed children of God. When Jesus next spoke of children in John the 12th chapter and the 36th verse, Jesus spoke of the children of light. Now, while you have the light 
Believe in the light so that you may become children of light. As children of God and children of light, Jesus tenderly addressed his loyal disciples as little children, for they still had much to learn from him before he died on the cross. Later, both Paul and John would speak to new and mature Christians as little children. In summation, to become a child of God, child of light, or a person, or a person must receive Jesus and believe in Jesus, for only Jesus can give anyone the power to become a child of God. I will repeat that. To become a child of light, we must believe Jesus is the light and the truth and follow the light and the truth, which is Jesus, who we find perfectly described and revealed in the Bible. Now that's not a repeat, but I'll go back up just a little bit. In John the 8th chapter and the 12th verse, and John 9th chapter and the 5th verse, Jesus proclaimed that he is the light of the world, and those who follow him have the light of life. And just a little bit above that, later both Paul and John would speak to new and mature Christians as little children. In summation, to become a child of God, child of light, whichever you prefer, a person must receive Jesus and believe in Jesus, for only Jesus can give anyone the power to become a child of God. Only Jesus can do that, okay? Now, in John's first letter, to Christians. That's in 1 John, the first chapter, and 7th verse. John wrote, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses us from all sin. My goodness, get a clean slate. We got a clean slate. Oh my goodness. The disciples did not know what Jesus meant by a little longer, but Jesus would suffer betrayal and arrest that very night and be crucified the next day. After Jesus rose from the dead and his followers heard, that he had risen. Some of them did look for him, but they did not find him until he appeared to them. That's to Mary Magdalene at the tomb and to the disciples in an upper room within locked doors. And we can see that in John, the 20th chapter, in the uh, first through the 31st verses, okay? Now, Jesus 
was going to the cross to die a sacrificial death for the forgiveness of sins, for the sins of those who received him. And neither the Jews nor the disciples could do that for themselves or anyone else. He also meant that he would soon be going to the Father in heaven and later all who believe in him would go there too to the place Jesus prepared for them. And we can see that in John the 14th chapter and the first and second verses. Now during the three years of ministry, Jesus showed the world and his disciples how to live according to Leviticus, the 19th chapter and 18th verse. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's what Jesus said. But Jesus never took vengeance on anyone, no matter how awful they spoke to him or treated him. Jesus never took vengeance on Judas, Pilate, the chief priests, or those who nailed him to the cross. Jesus did not bear a grudge against those who followed him only for the food he could give them or against those who came to him just to entrap him with some questions or against those who plotted his death. He didn't hold a grudge, didn't retaliate. Oh, he's a mighty God. Jesus did what he preached in Matthew the 5th chapter and the 44th verse. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus loved his neighbors as himself with a perfect love. For Jesus, the Son of God, is perfect. Now, in the Bible, we see Jesus behaving and teaching perfectly. Now, for the first time, Jesus gave his true disciples a new commandment. And since we are imperfect and we love ourselves imperfectly, we do not love others perfectly. When Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment, he made himself and his actions the standard of how his disciples were to love and how they were to know if they were loving as he intended. I mean, he gave the guidelines and then gave us something to compare to to make sure we're living the life. Now, here's a notice. Jesus loved everyone, but he especially loved his true disciples in a way that he could love God as Jesus revealed the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus still did what he wisely could to lead them to truth, faith in him. To lead them to truth, faith in him. Jesus loved and could love his little children 
differently because they enjoyed being with Jesus and he enjoyed being with them. His little children worshipped the true God in spirit and in truth. And that's what we have to do. We have to worship him in spirit and in truth. He is an awesome, 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 awesome God. And I love him so, so much. So much. Oh my goodness. It is, it's, it's just something else. When you read, you study about Jesus, about God, who is Jesus, the Holy Spirit is all one, it's all God. When we read about it, it's, it's so amazing. And I just want to say thank you, God, for saving me. It's amazing. It's amazing. Whew, my Lord. Jesus loved everyone, but he especially loved his true disciples in a way that he could not show to his enemies. Jesus' enemies could not and would not believe in, obey, and worship God as Jesus revealed the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but Jesus still did what he wisely could to lead them to truth and faith in him. That Jesus loved and could love his little children differently because they enjoyed being with Jesus and he enjoyed being with him. His little children worshipped the true God in spirit and in truth. As Jesus taught the Samaritan woman in John the 4th chapter and the 12th verse, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. Jesus expected His true followers to love their neighbors as the Lord commanded in Leviticus, the 19th chapter and the 18th verse, and He expected them to love one another as He had demonstrated to them, even washing their feet and taking the part of a slave as Jesus had done. Oh my goodness. He laid the foundation and opened up the way. What more could he do? Oh, he's such, he's awesome. So, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That is the 35th verse. Now, if they follow Jesus, Christians will think and act uh, directly like him, differently from those of this world. People will see by the things Christians say and do what Christians are, and that they're different. By what we say and what we do, people can see the difference in us and the difference 
in the world it distinguishes the difference between us and the world if we're truly truly serving God that people can see the difference and they'll know there is a difference they'll say like someone told me say there's something about you you're different I don't know what it is and one lady uh, I've told this before it at Johnson Johnson and Johnson when I was working there we made tampons in the Sherman plant and I was a side packer and what the side packer would do is after the machine operator packed the the tampons in the little box then they would sit it on the little table that was there for the side packer and the side packer would close the box up and put it in a big box and then it would go on somewhere else for further processing okay so I was this young lady filled in one day and so she said it's something about you said I see a light shining over you and I said thank you God thank you God because he said, let your light so shine that men will see your good works and glorify God in heaven. And that is something. That is something I try. I try. I truly try to let God shine through me. I'm not playing. I'm not playing around. I'm not hypocriting. I'm not I'm not pretending. This is serious, serious, serious to me. I do not want to go to hell. And I have said it more than once publicly. I know I've sinned enough in my past to have already been in hell so many times over. But because God had mercy on my soul, had mercy on our souls, he came down in human form and walked this earth, taught on this earth, lived a perfect life on this earth, gave his life, his physical life here on earth, gave it up to death and was buried in a tomb that was borrowed. He didn't even have one for himself. He rose on the third day with all power in heaven and earth in his hands, just for me, just for you, so that we will have a right to the tree of life, that we can have salvation. My goodness. And I am not going to play around and lose that. I don't want to be lost again. And I ask God daily to forgive me of my sins. Just in case during the day I committed some sin and I'm not aware of it. That he will forgive me. Because I don't want anything standing before God and me. I want to see him in peace. So he can say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into eternal life. That's what I want. Okay?
That's what I want. So, and if they follow Jesus, Christians will think and act differently from those of this world. People will see by the things Christians say and do that Christians are different. In 1 Peter, the second chapter, the ninth verse, in the King James Version, it reads that Christians are a peculiar people. And while in the uh, New Revised Standard Version calls Christians God's own people. Now consider completely what Peter wrote about God's purpose for Christ's people. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christians proclaim the mighty acts of Jesus, the light of the world, who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus called us out of the darkness by loving us and telling us the truth. Then he told us to believe in him, receive him, and follow him. The Christians live differently in many ways, but most importantly, they obey Jesus' commands in the Bible, which will involve other people seeing Christians loving one another according to the Bible's teachings and the difference Christian love makes. Others may never see us as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own peculiar people, but they can see whether we love one another or not. Now that they can see. And so many, many people have been discouraged when they attended a worship in a sanctuary and they saw the dissension and they felt the division among the people in the sanctuary and they have been so disappointed and discouraged but i'm here to tell you if you're one of those who has been disappointed and discouraged just hold on just continue to listen to this webcast and when greater gospel temple is up then come to greater gospel temple and let the Lord reign in your life. You don't have to wait until it's up. You can continue to listen. You can communicate with me. You can be encouraged. And there are places, there are sanctuaries that have sanctified leaders where you can attend and God will bless you. And I encourage you to be a part of Greater Gospel Temple the Church of Praise and Worship, and the Inspiration of God Ministries, you can be in our family. Don't be discouraged to the point where you are lost forever. That does not have to be. That does not have to be. God is still reigning 
R-E-I-G-N-I-N-G. He reigns forever. And just because people act up, that's not God, okay? So if Christians love one another and love their neighbor as themselves, they will draw some to Jesus Christ and they will learn of his loving sacrificial death on the cross for them. They will believe in him and he will make them new and different people filled with his love and filled with the Holy Spirit. They will join a fellowship of people who love one another. They will love their neighbors as Christ loves them. They will join a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Now, for the time being, Peter seemed to ignore Jesus' teachings or teaching about love, but Jesus will talk to Peter once again about love and how he must love after he rises from the dead. And we can see that in John 21st chapter in the 15th through the 19th verses. Peter fears abandonment after he learns that Jesus will leave him, and he particularly fears what the religious authorities might do to Jesus when he talks about his betrayal. Jesus told Peter that where he was going, and Jesus was going to a cross and back to his Father in heaven, and he told him, he said, he, could, he told Peter he could not follow now. Earlier, when Jesus spoke to the Jews, our religious leaders, and taught them almost the same truth, he left out the word now, for they would never go where he was going because they were going to die in their sins. In John, the eighth chapter, the 21st verse, told them, I am going away and you will search for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus told them that. Peter would not die in his sins, for Jesus gave his love on the cross for Peter. Peter believed in Jesus and wanted to follow him, and Jesus promised Peter you will follow afterward. He promised him. And that's our, that's a promise to us too, okay? Perhaps still thinking about one of his fellow disciples betraying Jesus, Peter made it clear to Jesus and the others that he would never betray him. Jesus and G, him, okay? Now, instead, Peter promised I will lay down my life for you. Jesus knew Peter loved him, and that is why Peter said he would die for him. Out of love for Jesus, Peter did not want Jesus to humble himself and wash his feet. Now, out of love for Jesus, Peter declared that he would protect Jesus even if he had to lay down his life to defend him. As much as Peter might want to keep Jesus safe, 
Jesus told Peter that he could not do what he hoped to do. Jesus had to die on the cross according to the scriptures. Jesus did not reprimand Peter for saying what he said. Jesus knew that love for him moved Peter to want to give his life for him. Later in the garden, Peter did risk his life to protect Jesus when Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. John 18, uh, chapter and the 10th verse. Now nothing and no one could stop Jesus from laying down his life to save people from their sins and grant eternal life to all who would repent of their sins and believe in him. But Jesus loved Peter and he wanted Peter to know that he knew Peter's love for him moved Peter to want to die for him. With loving words, Jesus warned Peter that he could not do what he wanted to do. Instead, Peter would deny him and deny that he even knew Jesus. Jesus knew Peter's heart and human weaknesses. When Jesus said, verily, verily, he indicated that what he was about to say to Peter was certain to happen and nothing could change the future for that evening when Jesus would be betrayed and arrested. No matter what Peter thought and felt, Peter would deny him and do so three times, not just once. Now feelings of fear would fill Peter's heart and mind. Jesus had not yet filled Peter with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did, he had to die and rise again before he could do that. Now fear would move Peter to deny Jesus three times according to the timing that Jesus foretold before the cock crows. As creator and Lord over all creation, Jesus could control when a cock crowed and he would do so under the stress of a trial, persecution, and facing death on a cross. Then in John the 14th chapter and the first verse, Jesus immediately comforted his disciples by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My, 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 my. And we have a note. We're talking about the epitome of true love. The epitome of true love. Now, here's a note on the Son of Man. And I know this is lengthy, but please hang in here with me, okay? Jesus said to Nathaniel, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's John, the first chapter, in the 51st verse. Now, Jesus said to Nicodemus, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven the Son of Man. 
And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's John, the third chapter, the 13th and the 14th verses. Jesus said to some Jewish leaders, and those religious leaders, okay, and he, meaning the Father, has given him, meaning Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. That's John, the fifth chapter, and the 27th verses. We're talking about the Son of Man when Jesus referred to him as the Son of Man. Jesus said to a crowd, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. That's John the 6th chapter and the 27th verse. Jesus said to disputing Jews, Verily, verily, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in him. That's John the 6th chapter and the 53rd verse. But Jesus said to many disciples, Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? That's John, the 6th chapter, the 62nd verse. It's a question he asked them. While teaching in the temple, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. That's the 8th chapter of John, the 28th verse. Jesus said to the man born blind that he healed, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. That's John the ninth chapter, the 35th and the 37th verse. says, On Palm Sunday, Jesus said to Philip and Andrew, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's the 12th chapter of John and the 23rd verse. The crowd asked Jesus, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? That's the 12th chapter of John and the 34th verse. Jesus said to the 11 disciples, Now the Son of Man has to be glorified, and God has been glorified in him. That's the 13th chapter of John in the 31st verses. First, a complete separate study of the ways Jesus used the Son of Man title would be excellent and valuable for group study or personal meditation. And we can see the International Bible Commentary on each verse that includes the Son of Man in the Gospel of John. My goodness. Now we're here for the questions. This is such a good lesson. The epitome of true love. God truly loves us. He truly loves us. Here are the questions just for, you know, fun and exercise. Get you thinking. Number one, if someone glorifies a sports star or celebrity, what does that mean and how do they do so?
Number two, what does it mean to glorify the Father and the Son, and how do Christians do so? Number three, what was the new commandment that, excuse me, what was the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples? In what ways would you consider it new? Number four, what is one way people will know if a group of people are followers of Christ? Number five, what did Peter tell Jesus and what did Jesus tell Peter? My, 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 my. Oh, this is good. This is so good. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up. In Jesus' day, people reclined on cushions to eat. They reclined on their side, rested on their elbow, and used their other hand to eat. When the disciples ate together, one disciple reclined near Jesus' right hand and another reclined near his left hand, which are places of honor. The others reclined across from one another where they could see Jesus. According to John's description, the one whom Jesus loved, loved probably John, the writer of this gospel, would have reclined on Jesus' right where they could quietly talk. The place of honor on Jesus' left probably went to the treasurer, Judas, where Jesus could easily give them a piece of bread, which usually expressed honor and love for someone. And this is uh, commentary. Remember this, okay? But Judas rejected Jesus' expressions of love and honor. When Jesus taught about how to live in the kingdom of God and spoke about his betrayal, at this and previous times without naming Judas, he gave Judas opportunities to turn away from his love of money and stealing to ask Jesus to forgive him and help him do right. Tragically, Judas refused to leave Jesus' teachings about the necessity of walking in the light so you will not stumble or fall in the darkness. Judas loved money so much that he would do anything for just a little more money, even betray a friend who loved and honored him. Finally, the hour came for Judas to betray Jesus and the hour for Jesus to die, so Jesus gave Judas a piece of bread and Satan the permission to enter Judas. Then, in Satan's power, Judas went out into the darkness my goodness and i pray that your day is night evening morning whichever it is is wonderful and we all know that god is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious that means he's way 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 better than good so now, for those of you who have not repented of your sins and accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and those who have repented and have gone back into the world and started sinning again, then this is for you. And I want you to repeat after me. It's at will. God does not force any of us to serve Him. But I admonish you, and I beg you, to repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and live a saved and sanctified life. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. It really is. 
Lord, repeat after me, please. It only takes a few seconds. Dear God, I repent of my sins. I ask you, in the name of Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. And I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Amen. It's done. If you did it and you're serious, you are saved now. Now all you have to do is get into fellowship with a church that has a sanctified leader where you can learn and grow and glow, okay, in the Lord. You can reach me at 469-629-9543 or ggtchurch66 at yahoo.com. I love you. This is Greater Gospel Temple the Church of Praise and Worship and Inspiration of God Ministries right here, right here on the World Wide Web. I love you so much. I love you so much.